Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for listening to the Flutie Flakes cast. I'm Doug Flutie. Uh, today we are actually going to have Joe Willie Namath as our guest. Uh, I'm fired up about that. He broke my heart as a little kid living in Baltimore. Uh, remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. A uh, couple takeaways. We'll first touch on college football in just a second, but Mackenzie Mil- Milton coming off a horrific leg injury at UCF. Uh, there's a whole free agent market, by the way, that we talked about with Kirk Herbstreet last week, uh, which drives me crazy in the college football world. But it gets him over to Florida State, hadn't played in a year and a half to two years, and gets on the field and sparks Florida State, leads them back, ties a ball game, probably, you know, had a shot at winning it, whatever, in overtime, but took it to overtime. Just so happy for the kid to be healthy, on the field, making a difference and showing what he can do. Uh, you know, it's right up there with Alex Smith and his his recovery off his his leg injury. Uh, it's just so great to see him back on the field and have an opportunity to make a difference in the college football world. The other aspect of college football is Alabama's just a professional football team, and it's ridiculous to watch them play and reload every year and get after it. They are absolutely amazing and, and just didn't miss a beat, stepped right back into it. Um. You know, the, the world of the NFL, NFL starting back up Thursday night, uh, Dallas and New England, and uh, Mac Jones gets the starting nod at New England. And it just, I first of all, I said it day one, the second Mac Jones was drafted, Mac is starting week one. And I got a few dirty looks because of saying it, but uh, you know, there was no doubt in my mind that Cam Newton's arm was compromised. He's not throwing the ball the way Cam's able to throw the ball or used to be able to and as much as i loved seeing cam compete it was definitely going to be mac jones's job there's a couple twists and turns to that 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 make me shake my head and and you know you, you go back to the nfl draft and san francisco trading up to get to the number three spot because they wanted mac jones they wanted mac jones we're going to get then they get there and they start questioning themselves and start reviewing, and, and after watching all the players running around all offseason before the draft in their underwear, throwing the ball, and you you forget some of the things that are very important, and you make another decision. Now, Trey Lance, amazing talent, athletic. He may work out to be the franchise guy and, and take over, um, but Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be starter week one. I mean, all of a sudden, you're looking at, you're, you're looking at New England, and there's Mac, drift, drop down in the draft, drop down, drop down becomes the starting quarterback. And what makes this absolutely amazing is, and, and the, the, the world of the NFL is different today than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. These kids have an opportunity to get in there early. First of all, their development through college as far as exposure to offenses and pass protections and dealing with things. Um, mentally, they're ahead of the game as to when my generation was coming out of college. So they're, they're doing a lot more. They understand fronts and coverage a lot better than, than say, we did back in the day coming out of college. So there, he's got a jump start from that standpoint. But still, it's the first year of an offense. It's your first you – know, all they talked about last year with Cam was he was learning a new offense and where he is, and it's a, it's a learning process. And so much of the – this part of the offense is in. And uh, he's a sharp kid. He's mature. He grasped all that and looked lights out through preseason and getting through reads, getting through progressions. And such a big part of that, um, such a big part of getting through a read and a progression is not, is he open, is he open, is he open? And you go one, two, three, four through your progression. 
getting through a progression is an art. You, you read coverage and you figure out what to eliminate. It's not seeing if a guy's open. If you're waiting to see if this guy's open, it's over. You're not going to get to number two because number two breaks open at the same time, number one, or it's set up that he's breaking open just a fraction later. You have to decide what takes it away. The strong safety got really wide right away off the, off the drop. So the out route's gone or the curl route's gone. And I'm coming off that on your first step because of the break of an underneath coverage man, of a linebacker running underneath something. Did the free safety sit flat? You know, if he sat flat, I, I can't throw that in route on the backside, but I might have the post going over the top. There are things that indicate to you when to get off a guy. And that is so important that it's, it's, unless you've been in a meeting room and see film or been behind a center, maybe you don't understand, but you have to figure out because you have approximately 2.6 seconds to get through four receivers and determine number one, Am I protected? What do I have to do to be protected? Do I have to change the pass protection? Do I have to change the mic call? Do I have to bring uh, a back from one side to the other in the shotgun? Then once you've decided on protection, on the snap of the ball, am I hot? Did somebody else come? Who's blitzing? Who isn't? And do I have to get rid of the ball? Am I protected? The next fraction of a second is number one receiver. Is it taken away? That drop happens, you come off number one to number two, number two is taken away, you're coming down to the back. And all this stuff happens in less than two and a half seconds. And that is where knowledge of coverage, knowledge of what takes things away, you know, a rolled corner takes away any rhythm throw on the outside, uh, quarters coverage, how to attack it, and what 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 takes things away in that. Uh, you just, it's it's an art, it's something that, uh, in a drop back game, you've got, you know, that's why guys that run spread offenses in college and run zone read stuff and RPOs are really talented kids, a lot of them, but don't translate to the NFL because they've never gone through progression reads. And that's something that Mac Jones has done. It's something that has allowed him to be ahead of the game and, and get on top of it and get the opportunity to be a starter in week one. And I talk about that being impressive because you're learning new terminology. Every time you learn a new offense, every time you learn a new, it's like learning a new language. You call things completely different. You don't just go from one team to another and step in and it's plug and play. Baseball, you can do that. Baseball, you can jump from one team to the other and go still hit home runs and hit this. Yeah, I faced this pitcher. I'm just wearing a different color jersey right now. I got the other laundry on and I'm still hitting home runs. I'm still playing third base. I'm playing center field, whatever it is, or pitching. Um, in football, it's not that way in football, you have to learn the terminology and, uh, it's, uh, that's, I've talked about this before, but that's my frustration with my career bouncing from team to team is learning new terminology and always starting over along those lines. Mike Evans, uh, with Tampa Bay made a really prudent comment. I thought in saying that we are Tampa Bay's offense is so far ahead of where they were this time last year. Now, we're talking about a team that won the Super Bowl. And we're talking about Tom Brady going to Tampa. And they had a great defense. And he had unbelievable weapons at receiver. Well, that, that goes hand in hand with what I was just saying about Mac Jones being impressive and picking things up right away. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be a pro bowler week or year one. And, and like he may struggle for a while. 
but he's definitely better than what they had and giving them an opportunity to move forward. I think he'll do very well as a rookie. Um, but over in Tampa, now you're talking Tom Brady in the second year of an offense with the weapons he has. Antonio Brown, a full season at receiver as their number three receiver, Godwin, Evans, um, and the defense that they have. Uh, a couple of great tight ends. It, it just... The reason the second year is so important is the terminology and the communication on the field becomes second nature. Uh, you know, you call her out and the say you have a go route by your outside receiver and an out route by your slot receiver. They don't just run the route. Okay, I got to go. I, I've got an out. Um, if it's, if it's just man to man coverage all day. Yeah. Okay. Then you find your man to man route. You throw the out route or the go route and he's the routes the same every time, but the little intricacy, the, the little nuances of an offense are, well, if it's man to man coverage, I'm going to try to take my best release and beat my guy and go up the field, but it might be covered too. The safety's coming over the top. The corner rolls up. If I'm the outside receiver, I can't just run a go route. I've got to create some space for the guy running the out route underneath. So I've got to take a wider release and force the outside. Even if he runs me into the sideline, he's got to stay wide, open up a hole. So there's an area for the out route to get open in a, in a zone coverage and the zone route and first cover two, it's not a hard break. It's not like you're going up man to man and running away from a guy. Now you're, pushing him a little more inside to create more space to your outside. And when you break out, you're going to feather it and find that soft spot. So every coverage, the routes are run differently. Every coverage, you could completely change your route. If there's an off coverage, you're running the out. If he's press, you're running a go. Um, those types of things. And, and those are very basic things, but there's more intricate things that happen in different coverages with different Everything is a route concept. If everything were man coverage, you just have a number and run the route. But since there's zones and all the little things that happen with zone, you, you adjust your route. Like a, a tight end running a corner route will take it a little deeper versus quarter coverage because he wants that safety to jump him so you can throw the post over the safety's head. Or the, the, the post route takes it a little further inside to try to draw that safety so the corner route's open rather than just running a route against your defender. So all these little things happen. And in the second year of an offense, uh, it's night and day. It's, it's, it's instinctive. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch Tom Brady work. Now, at 44 years old, can he stay healthy for 18 weeks and the extra, se uh, extra re uh, regular season game this year and all that? That's my biggest question mark there. Um, I heard the guys on ESPN talking about potential undefeated season. And, you know, Tom talked about that before. Tom – um, has talked about winning championships. He, he made a comment once that uh, he'd give up two of his Super Bowls for that one undefeated season completely. You know, they were so close and got beat by the Giants in the Super Bowl. So in the back of Tom's mind, that is still there. Um, they've got the type of team that can make that run. For that to happen, it, it's crazy odds and people have to stay healthy and you got to be lucky. You got to have somebody miss a field goal or, or make a stupid field goal to to help you win a game here or there. But it's going to be fun to watch the Tampa Bay offense this year. And uh, I think it was very evident when Tom Brady was on the field throughout this preseason.
To celebrate Live is Alive, SiriusXM is giving current subscribers the chance to win two tickets to 12 of the biggest events on the 2022 sports calendar, plus cash for travel costs and expenses. One winner and guest will get the chance to travel the country and experience 12 marquee events, including Super Bowl 56, the NBA Finals, and the World Series, courtesy of SiriusXM. For official rules and to enter, go to SiriusXM.com slash Ultimate Sports Fan. No purchase necessary. Open to current SiriusXM subscribers as of July 21st, 2020. Ends October 15th, 2021. Void where prohibited. Coming up, my guest will be Joe Namath, the one and only, the one guy to the confidently step up and said, uh, yeah, we're going to win the Super Bowl and beat my Baltimore Colts as a little kid. I was six years old and he broke my heart. All right. Well, I'm so fired up that uh, I've got a Hall of Famer, a guy that broke my heart as a little kid. I was six years old, sitting in the basement, watching on a black and white TV when Joe Willie Namath beats the Baltimore Colts, who were supposed to be heavy favorites to win a Super Bowl back in January of 69. And uh, Joe, uh, shoot, national championship with Alabama, Hall of Fame 1985, your your Super Bowl win and everything else. um, Just amazing. And we're sitting here talking, a couple old guys. And when you're out of football for 40 years and your phone's ringing off the hook over there, things are still good. How you doing? Oh, Doug, thank you. We've been healthy. The family's been healthy. And, you know, that's uh, that's critical. That's important. So that's where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, Jessica was setting up for you there. She, she's kind of been running your stuff for a little while now, right? I met I met you guys uh, years ago back at one of the Super Bowl. Yeah, sure enough. And, uh, well, she lives right next door, you know, about – 50 yards walking with three of her children and man uh, I've been able to visit with them Doug you know doing this whole COVID thing uh, for the last couple of years so uh, we've been staying safe we're all healthy and uh, I'm thankful well that's great news and that's such a challenge um, to, to just stay healthy and do the right things but that's really cool to have your daughter next door and and three grand how many grandkids do you have Six. Uh, my other daughter's out in California, up there, Big Bear Mountain, and she has three, do- three, uh, one, two girls and a boy. So it's uh, you I- got the boy, you got the boy on HGH, and got him doing wall squats and ready to roll. And gonna, we got any superstars coming up? Uh, I don't know. You know, as long <laughs> as they stay healthy, we'll try and teach them how to how to learn okay. about life and deal with folks. Well, we um. We have our first, we're expecting our first grandchild in January. So we're very excited about that. And that's a whole nother aspect. It's so fun. You know, we're, we're just setting up here and, and Jessica comes in kind of setting up for, for Joe and, you know, calling him dad and all that. And the reality of, of life, you know, all that kicks in and it's, it's like your, your day-to-day, you know, here and there things with the grandkids and all that. It's so cool to see, but I go back to those days. Um, you know, you're obviously the legend with the Jets and the things that have happened there. What do you what are you seeing now out of the Jets or or is there hope this year? I, I get the feeling there's renewed every year there's renewed hope, but what do you see? A lot of enthusiasm, a young team, 
uh, a coaching staff that's fired up, not to say that Gase and his staff wasn't fired up, but it's certainly different. There's a lot of enthusiasm. The guys, uh, coaches recognize they have a young group of guys. And uh, I got to believe, Doug, they're going to win more games this year than they did last. You see, uh, they win well, two games last year, man. And uh, I really like what I've seen of uh, Zach uh, Wilson, the quarterback, uh, and offensive line's been looking pretty good, too. So for us QBs, you know, that offensive line is huge. How do you think? It's, you know, it's so frustrating to see some of the talented kids that have come to New York with the Jets, and their career just comes to a stall, you know? And I, I see the same things you see in Zach. I, I think he's, he's ridiculously talented. Um, and I, the, the game's changed. Now, you go back to, I mean, my completion percentage, your completion, their, their completion percentage is like 70% now. Right? They're, they're throwing these wide receiver screens, but we aired it out. We threw it down the field, right? Doug, I was never in a shotgun in my life. I was always <laughs> under center. We were under center most of the time. The game has transformed. It's beautiful. When I watch it, I marvel at how these coaches use the players with the motion and the different plays and the utilization of the clock running so many plays man lining up uh, constantly putting on the, uh, the game's better than ever today and uh, of course the athletes bigger stronger faster and they spend more time at it too you know That's nutrition lifting weights <laughs> oh, it's year round they take care of themselves nutrition we i i, I talk about this stuff i had my, my rookie year with the New Jersey Generals, right? And we had a, some veteran guys and halftime of my first game, I come in the locker room and there's eight guys sitting in the corner smoking butts, smoking <laughs> cigarettes. What are some of your stories from, from back in the day of, of just, you're talking about health and nutrition today compared to, to back in the day? Well, you know, when we were in college, we used to get a meal uh, as a team there. And then, of course, in pro ball, we gather up. But uh, I often wondered what I, what, what, what I was working on. I'd have uh, two pieces of toast and coffee for <laughs> breakfast at, at 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning and game day for a 1 o'clock game. And I started thinking, what was I working on energy-wise in the third or fourth quarter up at Buffalo or, or New England, Boston, you know? Yeah. Didn't even think about food and, and nourishment and energy those days, man. That, that, you that know, was it was huge. hard. Well, when, when you're excited, like I remember my college days, I couldn't eat. I was like nervous, excited, and I, I try to make myself eat. I wouldn't eat a lot. But you think about it. You're having your team meal, say, 8 a.m., 8, 8 or 9 a.m. You don't kick off till one o'clock. The game's over at four o'clock and you're starving. And, and you don't <laughs> my, my, my little brother was a wide receiver and he was to say, he thought like if he was lighter, he was faster and quicker. He was a receiver. He'd have his cup of coffee in the morning. That was it. And wouldn't eat till after the game. So, I mean, I, but as I got older, I got more comfortable and I start, I'd leave a hot dog in my locker at halftime or a Snickers bar or something. Uh, what about the the worst locker room you were ever in? Oh, man, what well, a Buffalo Bills comes to my mind right away up there at that uh, War Memorial Stadium, I think it was. They had three showers that were working in the visitor's <laughs> locker room. 
And if you weren't one of the first 10 guys in there, you didn't have hot water. I mean, that, that and, and training camp, we trained uh, from my rookie year of the uh, first three years at a prep school up at Peekskill. And it, guys used to walk from the practice field back to their room because we only had two showers that worked there. Uh, things were different, uh, but uh, they, they've improved so much. And we're talking about yesteryear. Doug, Coach Bryan at Alabama, my senior year in college, Addressing the team, he said, oh, well, look, uh, fellas, the, the doctors, the trainers done told me we, we got to replenish those there liquids y'all are losing out there at practice. He said, we're going we gonna to have the hoses in between the practice field. You, you can stop and get you a drink in between, period. Water! Water for the first time on a football field at practice or basketball court, you know, it, it was wonderful. But that day we were afraid to be the first one to take a drink. We'd be picking and looking up at Coach Brian up in his tire to see if he's looking, you know, <laughs> still sneaking a drink of water. And then you're talking about, and I, I remember that in my high school days in double state, it was like a sign of weakness if you needed to go get a drink of water. Like they, it was a toughness thing, right? Yeah, and they, well, they wouldn't let you drink water at practice. It's unbelievable. And you talk about Coach Bryant. We played Bama twice in college, and um, I was very excited to play Alabama because I wanted to meet Coach Bryant, and it just so happened he passed away the season before we played Alabama. What are, Any other legendary stories with Coach Bryant back in the day? Uh, oh, Doug, yeah, there are a lot of them. Uh, we respected him so much. I can remember the first freshman meeting we had. You know, we had 41 guys on the freshman squad, and uh, one of the first things he told us, that we, we're going we're gonna to win a lot of games here, but we'll remember the ones we lost. You know, down the road, whenever you're old, you're going to remember those ones that stick in your craw, you see. And uh, he also uh, said something that uh, hit home, and to this day with the grandchildren or whatever, he said, look, y'all, if you think you can't, you won't. If you dare think you can't win this game at anything, you won't. Don't be negative. You got to believe you're going to win. And man, that was a great approach. Uh, he was a great teacher, boy. And uh, I'm thankful because in pro ball, I had a Hall of Fame coach there too, Weave Eubank. We, and uh, he was a Baltimore cold coach there. Yes, he was. I, I, it's so weird for me because I, I mean, I might have watched. 10 to 15 Colt games I, that I can remember as a, a little kid. You know, once I got into the Savvy, I was a little older and, and remember that group. But I remember watching my first game I ever went to were the Jets at Memorial Stadium at, at, in Baltimore and watching Johnny and Inus play. Yeah. yeah. It, it just, uh, just, you know, you know those five year old. What was that? My senior year of high school, we got new jerseys, uh, <laughs> home jerseys. And I, uh, I got number 19. I asked for number 19 because of Johnny. And, uh, yeah, I was a big fan of him. But going back to the Baltimore Colts, back in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, we were Colt fans because we had one of our own playing for the Colts that set up. He caught the pass when Amici ran in the next play. In 19 Jim Mutchler. Jimmy Mutchler, yes, yeah. man. Uh, we love Jimmy, so we were pulling for the home man, you know. He was wonderful, <laughs> and I got to visit with him whenever he'd come back to Beaver Falls over the years, and, and it was a thrill. 
You know, it's amazing. You talk about confidence and Unitas after the game, they asked them, you know, a field goal would ice it, would win it. It was an overtime game, blah, blah, blah. And you're throwing the ball down inside the 10 to the one yard line to much. He goes, well, you were supposed to score a touchdown then, you know, we had to run it in and get it in, but it's the confidence to do those things. I played, I actually had a 21 year career professionally and it was a little bit of a roller coaster. I had my, my moments, but the confidence, when I went back, I went to Canada for eight years, it rekindled my confidence and I came back knowing what I did well, what I didn't do well, and had that. And there were so many coaches along the way that I felt beat me up mentally, like made me hesitant to, to pull the trigger. And talk about how that confidence plays into to, to winning football. Oh, well, like you say, if you think you can, you won't. We always went out on the field or in the backyard when we're playing back home on 6th Street, man. You're playing in the backyard. You know, you're there to win. But the yeah. thing is, if you don't have those guys up front, it's real tough, isn't it? I mean, it, we got it. Football is great. It, it, it's like uh, it's a team effort, but life in itself. Every day, our families, our friends or whatever, we learn a, a responsibility, respect for one another. And uh, I learned those things from home first. But the football, the families that I was with, with the football, with Coach Brian, my Larry Bruno high school coach, man, we view bank. Uh, I, I was lucky. I was yeah. so lucky. And uh, we were able to win sometimes. And that was because of the rest of the guys, uh, for, for the most part. How, how many guys, I mean... People, I don't think people really realize how close the bond is on a football field of how you become a fan. You become a family. It's your extended family guys. Do you have any guys that you're still in touch with from over the years that from way back that are, that became very close friends for a long time? Oh yeah. We stay in touch. Some of us stay in touch, but all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, the last bunch of years, you know, guys move on to that next level and uh, we'll be joining them sometime. And it's always painful to, to see what some of them are going through uh, physically uh, before they move on. Uh, it, I bring up a subject, the traumatic brain injuries, you know, back mm -hmm. then the helmets weren't as good as they were. And I see several of my teammates and you have two probably that are just struggling um, with the age and, 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 and cognitive stuff, man, and uh, breaks your heart, breaks our heart, but the good Lord has a plan for us. You got to keep believing, you know, we'll join up again. Did, uh, did you have a suspension helmet? Yeah, you know, right now. Yeah. Right now, right? It's got the pad with the, the straps, and it just kind of sitting bobbles around. <laughs> and we had that one little rubber piece at the top, there was a linebacker in Alabama that took that rubber piece out. He didn't like that, right? Well, he, he, it didn't work. You know, he got his bell rung, so to speak. Yeah, that was, I, I found, it's amazing the progression of the helmet. I can't even recognize the helmets now, and they're so much lighter than they were in the day. But I've, I've, I've saved all my helmets, that, and I've got a row of them. And to see the progression, I mean, it looks like a darn motorcycle helmet now. Well, Doug, I have Mark Rip inside me. He gave me a Washington Redskin helmet for when they won the championship. And I can't, I, it's heavy. It's heavy. You know, these helmets today, they're heavy. I mean, God, you, you got to exercise to keep that neck bone or something. 
they're, they're great, but they're heavy. You know, Mike Dickus said one day, he said, you know, the worst thing they ever did was put, put that face mask on the helmet because that just gave me something to grab, you know, back before they, <laughs> right before the face mask. And the other aspect of that, I don't know, you know, all the head injuries, if you don't have that face mask, you're not throwing your face in there and your head lowering the, the boom and all that. So there's something to that. I'm sure. How many broken noses did you have, Joe? Well, it may look like it, but I haven't had my nose broke. Oh, uh, see, he's a boxer. He's a boxer that made it through his career as a champion without getting the nose broke. One time, a little eight-year-old girl at a camp came up to me. She said, you're a football player. You broke your nose, didn't you? And I said, no, no, honey, this is, this is just that. I was lucky with the nose. Well, you had a big broke. You had the big face mask. That can, see, yeah. You, well, you guys had, go ahead. That was that was because of a shot that a defensive end with the Oakland Raiders uh, uh, leveled on me. Or actually, two of them. One was Ben Davidson, and mm -hmm. one was Ike Lasseter. And there's a great picture uh, of me flying this way, my helmet flying that way, my face being that way, and uh, me breathing. It was strange in the sideline. Uh, they, they broke my cheekbone that day. And uh, that's when I went to the cage. I figured, why not? It's more protection, man. You know, it didn't impair my vision. And so I just put the cage on. Who else? I, 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 I can't picture I, I, a modern day quarterback that has the big cage that's down there. But, um, the problem, I, uh, you know, you may remember some of those face masks were so square there that you hit a shoulder pad if you turn. Mm, so yes. I ended up changing to one that was shaved down where I could still turn. I mean, I, I always, my equipment, I was like, the lighter I am, the, see, I, I needed to be able to, if I couldn't move and make people miss, I was in, I was in deep trouble. Um, what about ling lingering injuries for you, Joe? Uh, the knees. I know that I, I have this vision of you right at the end of the career running a naked bootleg. and Who was that against? Remember you hobbled around the corner for the... Oh, yeah. Two severed hamstrings in my left leg <laughs> I had there at the, in a water skiing accident. That was a Giants in overtime. The only time I ever got to play against the New York Giants in a league game, a regular season game. And uh, they were still uh, playing up in the elbow. So it was their home game. And there had to be uh, 80 plus thousand people. And uh, the majority certainly were giant fans, you see. But yeah, uh, yeah I, that, I didn't tell the team I was going to do that. Never practiced it. But they had a linebacker named Brad Van Pelt. Mm -hmm. He was a rookie then. And man, when it was short yardage, I, I was looking at films, you know, he got down in that three-point stance and he was in a sprinter stance. You know he was coming. And so I called Boo with a 30, Boozer, Emerson Boozer, Emerson go off tackle with a 34 power to the right, thinking that that's a good short yardage play, mm -hmm. but also knowing I was going to check this dude out and see if he was that way. And I swear, Doug, I swear, <laughs> I went up to the line, got up there, and the first thing I thought in my brain, oh, shoot, it's there. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so I went ahead with the play and, you know, just kept the ball and went in. And uh, Spider Lockhart was standing back there. He didn't come up, you know, he knew I was in, but. They had a rookie over here at corner. I didn't trust him. So I just wanted to let him know I'm in, Jack. You know, <laughs> just say right, you don't take the shot. That's all. <laughs> uh, see, people don't really, yeah. You know,
I, I give, I, I talk a lot about uh, all this RPO game that they do in the NFL now. And a kid named Damon Allen, uh, Marcus Allen's younger brother was playing up in Edmonton. And in the CFL, we started doing the shotgun thing and spreading people out and running our entire run game out of gun. He was the first one that started eyeing that defensive end, pulling the ball and going and, and doing some of the RPO stuff. He and I, then I saw what he was doing and I mimicked it and I started putting a route on it and all this other stuff. But see people, the RPO game started with Joe Namath against the jets (laughs) or against the giants pulling it on his own. See, the next step was you didn't trust that corner. You don't trust him. Right. So if that corner sneaking in, you'd be ready out there. I'm going to throw you the ball. That's the next step. (laughs) Right. So it's, it's all. And back when we did stuff like that, it wasn't this, this big, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't in the playbook. And if, if this, then that, if this, then it was like, Hey, you know, stay alert, look out. I got him. Yeah. And it's cool. And Did you, you, know, you called your own pl- you call your own plays? Oh yeah, we were uh, in high school. I uh, had that liberty, and a coach Alabama called my first game at Alabama. Doug, uh, I was a sophomore quarterback starting on the national championship, defending national championship team, mm-hmm. and uh, we played against Georgia in Birmingham. And I was so nervous that when I broke came out of the locker room, my head was beating so hard I didn't know if I was going to be able to play or not. It hurt. But anyway, when we get the ball, it's our turn. First offensive series, I was so nervous. This is where we're going. Quarterbacks called the plays. I called a quarterback sneak. I needed to get hit, man. I caught a quarterback sneak, and that was the first play I called. And from then on, you know, Coach Bryant let his quarterbacks call every play. Uh, We were schooled, uh, depending on down and distance, the clock, and, you know, whatever – the situation was to learn to call group of plays given that situation. See, I love that. I, and I agree with the getting hit thing, you know, games that I was really, uh, you know, fired up for and intense and maybe a little nervous or whatever. Give me a bootleg, give me a quarterback draw, give me something. Cause a quarterback, especially a drop back guy that throws a ball and stands there, boom, it's out. Tom Brady may not break a sweat until the second quarter. You know, you take the drive. If you're not getting hit and you're throwing in rhythm, you're, I mean, you're taking five steps. You're not even. So I, I, number one, I loved getting myself athletically into it and getting hit and getting into the role, but, but calling your own plays. I I started doing that. I did it, always did it in two minute in college. And then I did it in Canada. And I always felt like I was never going to put myself in a position. You know, a lot of times when, when the plays come from the sideline, the first thought that enters your mind is, what is he looking for? Why is he calling it? And you're trying to please somebody else. <laughs> you know, my last year, Doug, I, I went out and joined Chuck Knox and uh, the Los Angeles Rams. And um, I, I, I didn't have to go. Mr. and Mrs. Hess, the owners of the Jets at that time, we had dinner in New York and they didn't want me to leave. They wanted me to stay there. But realistically i knew the situation uh, richard todd richard todd was a rookie and richard and i had worked out together for eight years in a row or something to see with a high school kid and the new coach was uh, walt michaels and walt was a, a interesting personality he was a terrific linebacker with the browns as you know and uh, i tried to explain to mr and mrs hiss that they, they just i needed to get out of the way man 
and Chuck Knox had given me opportunity to come out to the Ram. Well, they would, I'd go on the field, they'd give me the first down play to call. Second down, I might not have had a play sent in, but they always come up with a third down play. So it took a lot of stuff out of the game in a sense of frustration and, and you know, going with what you feel and what you know and uh, what you see out there and seeing the huddle and stuff. It I, was by far more fun for us to call the play, right? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You could talk, like, especially my days in Canada, you talk to the guys on the way back to the huddle. You know, the receiver, hey, he's, he's jumping this or he's sitting inside or he's doing that. Uh, short yardage situation. I just ask the guys up front, what, what do you guys want to run? Because they yeah. know, right? They know. Yes, they can- yes, involve them too. You know, and I ask them, you ask them some, you know, in the huddle, just getting what do you guys like? You, you got something you like or whatever, the linemen, because they know they're, they're the ones that have to block, man. I, I, that's missing. It's really missing. And it's even at a, a whole nother level in college right now. Like in college, they line up, they do a fake snap. They look to the sideline to get the audible. They signal it in. and they So they're always used to being in the right play for the right defense. They don't know how to get through a progression because they're, they're, they're always in the right play and number one's open or I'm throwing the hit screen or whatever. You brought up Walt Michaels. Walt Michaels became my head coach with the New Jersey Generals and Donald Trump in, in New Jersey. And my, my, my Walt Michaels story was, and when Walt was great. I broke my collarbone towards the end of the year. And uh, going into the playoffs, it had been four weeks. It felt great, but they knew it, it wouldn't be until eight weeks that it was solid. So they didn't want me to play. Or everybody, I wanted to play, but Walt made me sit and, and sit it out. And I didn't play the playoff game because of it and all that. But my Walt Michael story was, it's like, this is my introduction to pro football. Guys smoking in the locker room. And then the first game, the night before meeting, watching film, you know, just a reel of maybe 10 to 15 plays. And Walt's leaning in back, snoring away in the back oh. of the room. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that was my introduction to pro football. Anyway, I loved it. I, 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 I love the connection with Walt. I didn't know we had so many connections, Joe. Um, I, I love you to death. I loved watching you play as a little kid. You were, you were an icon and an idol. And uh, thanks for taking the time to be with me. Hey, man, I'm a fan, buddy. I watched you play. God knows the Miami game down here, you know, throwing that last one too. And marveled at your ability out there in the field to be able to move around and your enthusiasm, et cetera. We can go on and talk about you. And I can do that. But I just want you to know I'm a fan of you, buddy. I promise you. Well, I appreciate it, Joe. And um, guys, good to see you. And uh, stay healthy. Be smart, and uh, thanks again. Thank you, buddy. I hope I see you soon. Well, that's, I, I'm like a little six-year-old kid talking to Joe Namath, so that, that's awesome for me. And thank you so much, Joe Namath, for joining us today, joining me and uh, reminiscing a little bit and talking a little Jets, J-E-T-S. Um, yeah, let's get into the uh, Twitter questions, Chris, and uh, rattle those off. Firstly, we have, I miss your restaurant at the Ridge. Will you ever open back up? <laughs> Tell COVID to go away. No more COVID. <laughs> Tell it to go away. We, um, 
the casino, once the casino gets back to what we were doing and, and capacity wise, uh, yes, the restaurant we plan on reopening and everything is just kind of on hold there. So it's, it's working as a skeleton crew right now at the casino itself. And yes, we do hope to, to reopen the restaurant soon. Nice little plug for the restaurant there. Good to see. Yeah, you. yeah. Flutie's um, <laughs> Girl Twenty Two. It's it's pretty cool. We we, I, the, when we set that thing up, I mean they were meticulous. This is like all the little big glass cases. I got a bunch of memorabilia there. I got my SB there. I got the Heisman goes in and out. Um, the Batmobile. I've got a ton. No, the Batmobile's not there. You know what I do? I did. Yeah, they wanted to make it more my personality. So we put a paddleboard. <laughs> right. We put a paddleboard with, I, I told them, we were just sitting around talking. I talk about sharks all the time. Yeah. And I said, we got these spinner sharks. So they actually have like four spinner sharks near the paddleboard. Up oh, the that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. pretty cool. I love it. Love it. I'm going to go speaking, down and check it speaking, out. Speaking of the, the surfing thing, uh hurricane larry's moving up the coast and we got hurricane waves starting tomorrow it starts to three to four foot tomorrow and builds to close to eight foot waves here in florida and uh by the way that's measured from the back of the wave so the front of the wave is like double that so the by the end of the week you could have 15 foot faces and uh we're yeah everybody's gearing i got like three boards patched up this week getting them ready oh my god you're a madman i love it next question <laughs> What was your favorite team uniform you played in? Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I, I had some high school buddies during baseball season that would wear their socks a certain way and would, would, was all, they were more concerned about the uniform and what we were wearing and the belt to match. The, it's like I never thought about that stuff growing up. But that being said, and by the way, his favorite NFL uniform was always the old uh, Los Angeles Rams uniform. He was like a nut about Um for me, it was, and we never played well in them, but it was the powder blues in San Diego with the throwback helmet. It was was a pretty cool look, and we played like garbage every time we wore them. So the other thing we did was when I was in Calgary, uh, my first la Labor Day, just passing, Labor Day is a big deal. Uh, it's your rivalry matchup, and we pulled out. At Calgary, we were red at home and white on the road. And we pulled out black jerseys for Labor Day. And it was a big deal. Nice one. I like that one. And the third and final question that we have for this week, what is your favorite CFL memory? I think winning my first Grey Cup was, was just so huge for me. And it was my first real championship and all that. So my, my fondest memory was the Western final to go to the Grey Cup. And we took the ball, we drove like 88 yards into a 35 mile an hour win with a minute to go, no timeouts. And uh, I wound up running it in from like the three yard line. And uh, we win that and move on to win our, our first great cup. Nice one. Well, thanks everyone for the questions. Remember each week, just find Doug on Twitter at Doug Flutie and just ask him some questions. If you want to know anything, just hit him up and we'll read them on the show. Well, once again, I want to thank Joe Namath for joining me today. Uh, just so many memories as a little kid watching Joe play and uh, his connection with the Jets and my heartbreak with the Baltimore Colts as a little kid growing up in Baltimore. My parents were from the Baltimore area. So that was, that was really cool for me. And I love, I've loved the opportunity to talk to some of my heroes. Uh, this, this has been absolutely amazing for me.
Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. The Flutie Flakes cast is part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Crest. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Denny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Thanks again. SiriusXM Podcasts.